This is Let's Break Good, the podcast where good is just not good enough. I'm your host, Joe Agoda, and on today's episode, creating change when it seems like an incredibly tall mountain to climb. When the impact you're trying to make seems nearly impossible, the hardest step to take is the first one. How do you assemble the team needed to take on the challenge? How do you get the buy-in and commitments from the community you're seeking change in? For our inspiration, we will be going down to the famed city of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, to explore the story of a community in conflict that overcame years of non-action to take on life-threatening disaster risks. How did they get unlikely allies, the local police force and young people, to work together? How did they pinpoint the location of where disaster would strike when no map of their community existed? I'm going to give you the inside story of how it happened. So let's do it. Let's get started. I want to break free. Today's story begins in 2010 in New York City. I'm working at UNICEF headquarters when a call comes in from the Rio de Janeiro office of UNICEF asking for help on a disaster risk reduction project. They were looking to see how technology might be able to help them see where disaster risks were in the community so they could take them on before the disaster hit. Their question was, how can we find places on a map where these risks exist when we're working in informal communities? When I say informal communities, I mean those that may be considered slums, that don't have normal road signs, that don't have addresses, that may not be officially recognized by the government, but are extremely vulnerable to disasters. And so this project in Rio was brought to me and they asked, Joe, how do you think technology might be able to help us? What are you thinking? And immediately I said, well, let me look and see what else is going on, what has been done in the past. I think one pitfall when we get started on our social good projects is that we want whatever we're doing to be so innovative and so new that no one has ever done it before. But the truth is your starting point should be to look back and see who's come before you so that you can build on top of that foundation. So I did some research and I actually had found that there was a project in Kenya in the Kibera community, which is a vulnerable, low income, uh, you know, considered a slum area, where they had done a similar disaster risk reduction project using young people and GPS devices. And what they did is they went around the community with the young people, and when they found a place that they considered to be a life-threatening risk like for example they would say well this is my walk home to school and you see all these lights all these lights are broken and when it's dark it makes me susceptible to you know being mugged or i don't feel safe so when they felt that way about an area they would press the gps tracker they would write down a note and they went back to their office they went back to you know a place where they could upload all of that data and they were able to create a map that said, well, here are all the places we think there are risks in the community. 
Um, and I was really inspired by the project. It had some, some, some really good success. And I realized that there was something happening that we could take advantage of. And that was smartphones at the time were really starting to become more widely available. The Android operating system had been launched by Google, I think about a year and a half before. And I realized that there was an opportunity because unlike the iPhone, with the Android system, you could actually create your own app. And I said, hmm, maybe we can build on top of what this group did in Kenya by using GPS-enabled smartphones with our own app. So that was the lightning strike of inspiration that got started on mobilizing this idea. And once you have an idea, the next thing you're going to need to do is really dig in and come to understand the challenge that you're up against. So you got to start by listening. So I got on the phone with the team in Rio de Janeiro, and we discussed about what they were trying to achieve. They were motivated to take on the risks for landslide and flooding because recently in some of the poor communities, which had come to be known as favelas, come uh, more commonly known as favelas, had seen a loss of life because of heavy rains and mudslides. And so that was the specific risk that was really motivating us to take on the, you know, exercise and to put and take this mapping idea, this mobile mapping idea and put it up against. And so we started discussing what would make this possible? What might challenges we might need to face? And I think whenever you're starting off on your, your journey, take the time to listen and think about all the different challenges you might face to getting started because that preparation will be invaluable. So some of the things that we discussed was that, number one, this was an informal community that had not been previously mapped. So if you went to Google Maps and you looked at it, there would be nothing there. If you went to City Hall and tried to find information about who lived there or what their addresses were, you wouldn't find anything. And this reminded me of one of the hardships that the project in Kenya that I was inspired by had faced was that they had completed maps of the Kibera community. They brought it to the local government. And the government said, oh, no, this is not a, a recognized area. It's an unofficial informal settlement. And so we can't even look at your maps because for us, those communities don't exist. And so while there were some really good maps created, the government was unwilling to take action because they saw it as a non-legal settlement. So that was one risk that we identified right off the bat. We also realized that there was tension in these communities between the young people, the community, the local police force, and the government. There had been years of problems. There hadn't been much, much action taken on it. There was, you know, known to be some violence in these communities. And so there was mistrust and frustration between the young people, the local police force, and the government that we would need to all take on this disaster risk reduction together. Lastly, there was the data itself. We would need to collect this data, but it would be sensitive. We wouldn't want it to be public. 
It will be, you know, collected maybe by young people. There'll be photos. There'll be information that we didn't want to get out to the public right away. So we needed to be very careful with how we collected information and what we did with it. So once we kind of talked that through, we understood the challenges, then we were ready to try to make this idea happen, which was let's have young people use mobile phones to find the risks in their community. And the next step, and what you always have to do after you have a good idea, is make sure you resource it properly. You need to have the money. That's the truth. If you don't have money to do what you need to do, then you'll never be able to climb that mountain. You'll never be able to mobilize everyone because time is money. And, you know, to take on challenges, to take on, for example, in this project, the risk reduction, we were going to need budget. We're going to need people to put in resources that if we map things, then they would fix it. And we would need to get the phones themselves. We would need to train the young people. We would need to run a training workshop. So we needed money. Now, after funding, you want to think about your approach. And we said, okay, well, we're not going to just run down to Brazil until we really think through how are we going to do this mobile mapping. And we looked on the market and we realized at the time, so it was 2010, there was no app that would allow you to take photos and use the GPS to automatically upload them onto your own custom map. So there was nothing on the, the Android, Google market, none of the other phones, none of the other things that we looked at could really do it. And so when you come up across these kind of challenges, again, don't start by saying, oh, I need to, to do this from scratch. You know, start looking out into your network research online, see if there are other groups that have done it. And maybe you'll find something in an unlikely place. And what I found this time was that one of my contacts that I had from when I worked at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, said, you know what? I think there's a group that is has something like this. So I got introduced to a group called the MIT Mobile Experience Lab that uh, was inside their uh, the MIT-famed uh, group called the MIT Media Lab. So they were a lab in there. And they had an app that was for tourism. And what it was for was that they were using the app in Italy to go to famous tourist locations and create like adventure itineraries. So they would have people with the phones go out, take pictures and videos of like, you know, the Trevi Fountain, the Panthenon, um, the Colosseum, and then they would put down the map. So if you wanted to go online, you could say, oh, look, here are pictures and photos of, you know, places I could go for tourism. And, you know, this was really cutting edge at the time. This was before TripAdvisor and Yelp and all those things were big. You know, this was something new and different that they were trying out and testing in an, in an academic setting and doing research on it. So we approached them and we, we kind of said, hey, would you be willing to test your technology with us here for this social impact project. And of course, they were inspired and they said, yes, we're in. So we said, okay, good. We have the mobile mapping. The next thing we had to look at was, was there a baseline map of these communities, of these favelas? Because what we came across was a problem. When we went onto Google Maps and we looked at the 
you know, the GPS location of the community, there was nothing there. We knew hundreds of thousands of people were living there, but on the map, there was no roads, there was no addresses. And even when we went to the satellite to see like, okay, what's the satellite look like? It was old, incomplete, and outdated. So we had another problem. Yes, we now had an app that could upload points to a map, but if the map had no detail, then it would be useless. So again, we put our research hat on and we looked around and we got a connection to a new and up-and-coming group called the Public Laboratory for Open Technology and Science. Uh, now I believe it's known as the Public Lab. And they had done a project around the BP oil spill. And the BP oil spill was a, a horrific, um, you know, off the coast of Louisiana, of the Gulf Coast, there had been a, you know, an oil, underwater oil, uh, you know, pipeline that had burst open and there was all this oil coming out and it was coming out shore and the government had closed the airspace over the coast so that no one could take photos overhead to see what the impact of this oil spill was. So this group of kind of community citizen scientists came together and figured out a way to use kites and balloons to create new aerial maps to see what the impact of the oil spill was. And so we approached this group and we said, hey, we know you've been doing this kind of do-it-yourself citizen science aerial mapping. Would you be willing to work with us on this project? And they heard about what we were trying to do and they said, Absolutely. This is the kind of thing we're excited about. We're trying to expand in this area. And so they joined up to help. So now at this point, we had the funding and the tech partners in place. But there was one more step. And this is probably the most important step that you need to take when you're ready to go into a community and do a social impact project. This is the difference maker. I think there's also always a rush when you do have the money or you have an exciting technology to just go in and say, oh, I'm going to help these people. I'm going to show them how it's done. They, the reason community change hasn't happened here is because they didn't have this kind of funding and they didn't have this awesome technologies that I had. And that is a fool's errand. You are setting yourself up for failure if you don't do one thing. You don't get your local community buy-in and you don't identify what local group is going to take on this project long-term? So we talked with the UNICEF office in Brazil, in Rio de Janeiro, and we identified a local NGO, non-governmental organization called SEDAPS. And what SEDAPS had was they were embedded and had been working in these communities that we were trying to help for many years. They had the trust of the community they knew how to select young people, how to train young people, how to educate young people. That was in their mission. And they were based in Rio. And they knew the community and the community knew about them. And so that was the last piece of the puzzle that we needed to get started climbing the mountain on this project. And it was just an incredible feeling to know that we were going to go in and with the help of the UNICEF office, setups, and these technical partners, we were going to bring everyone together and break through 
and maybe be able to create change and do something in this community that would save lives and take on problems that had for years been unable to be fixed. So it was time for action. And we selected a pilot community. Uh, the name of the community was Prazeres. And I remember flying down to Brazil for when we were going to get all the stakeholders together to do a training workshop and a first go at, at community mapping, youth-led community mapping to take on disaster risks. And I got there and it's a really cool community. It's up on a hill. It has beautiful views of the Brazilian beaches, of the famous Christ statue, the famous Sugarloaf Mountain. And we got there and... The workshop was set up just outside the favela community. And what was interesting was that I was told I was not going to be allowed into that favela community because for my own safety. So I was here to lead with all these partners a project, but I wouldn't be able to actually go in the favela. But that ended up being totally fine, again, because we had this local partner set apps that was able to navigate, to go in and out, and you know be able to carry out what we need to do. So we get all everyone together in the room. We have the local police, the government officials, the municipal government that are in charge of taking on things like fixing roads and um, you know mitigating things like standing water where maybe there's mosquitoes, things like that. So we had the police force, the government, the UNICEF staff, and the young people, and we we're all together. And I think this is the most incredible kind of thing that UNICEF and certain organizations have, which is they are conveners. They're able to bring everyone together. So we get everyone together and we start discussing about what we want to achieve with this mapping project. And I remember the beginning was chaotic. Everyone had different things they wanted to do. The police force wanted the crime to go down. The young people were really upset by, you know, the kind of litter and landfill that one of their playgrounds had been taken over by. The uh, municipal government were, were more worried about certain road and infrastructure issues. And it was, you know, we were having a little bit of trouble getting everyone together to agree as a first step, what was this mapping all about? And I'll never forget that one of the people from Setapps had brought was the local community leader of the favela. She was older and she had lived it and she had seen these problems for a long time and she stood up and took the microphone and everyone listened and she said, listen, look, we can't eat this apple in one bite. If we try to take on all these things at once, it's going to be like trying to eat a whole apple in one bite and we're going to choke and we won't be able to get anything done. What we need to do is take this apple one little bite at a time. And let's agree that the first and most important little bites that we want to take are those that will save lives. We can go in the community and map all the things we're talking about. As long as we agree at the end of the day, we're going to look and take on the life-threatening issues first. And let's just agree to that and let's start there. That's our first bite of the apple. And I think that just calmed the room and everyone just kind of nodded their head and agreed, okay, we can map everything that we're talking about, but we'll come back together at the end and we'll choose those that we think are the most threat to 
you know, human life. So finally, we agreed what we would map, the approach we would take, and the young people then stood up and it was their time to shine because they were going to take the mobile phones and they were going to do the mapping and they were going to do this low-cost aerial mapping with kites and balloons. And this is when our first huge challenge popped up. And that was when we started trying to test the mapping app, which had worked when we were in the office with the Wi-Fi and the internet connection, when they went out into the community and started mapping points, the app kept crashing. And we found out it was because the network connection, there was no cell phone signal inside the favela. There was no internet connection inside the favela. And in fact, the rumor was that gangs that sometimes went inside the favelas put up jamming devices because when police came in, they wanted to scramble their calls and their um, walkie-talkies. So the app was unable to take the photos, hit the GPS, and upload it. It kept crashing. But how did we overcome that one? Well, the young people, they said, but we understand what we're trying to do here. What we're going to do is we'll go in and we'll take the photos just with the phone. We'll come back. And then after we do the aerial mapping and you show us the map, we know our community. We know where things are. We'll be able to place it for you. And so they went out and they just took the photos and they brought little sketch pads and they wrote down notes about where they were and they overcame the technology failing. And this is a really important point for your projects and for when you're trying to take on social good things. It's all about the people. It's 90% people, 10% technology, 10% innovation, 10% others. If the people you are working with understand what you're trying to do and they have the motivation and drive to do it, they'll overcome any challenge. And I thought that was really cool because I remember the local police were kind of really um, tickled by that because they were trying to figure out ways that they could make the app work. They were trying to you know, go on the computer and see what they could do. And then people said, we don't even need the computers. Look, at, here's the phone. Let me show you how we're going to do it. Let's go out there. And I think that was also a bonding moment for the police and young people because they kind of schooled the police a little bit. And I think uh, that really helped maybe diffuse some of that tension that was there. Now, the other thing that ended up happening that was surprise, and I think this is an important point to always keep yourself open to be surprised, was that the aerial mapping led by Public Lab with the balloons and kites was a huge hit. What I didn't know was that in these kind of mountaintop favelas, that were you know, really at a higher altitude, the wind was really strong. And so when you were growing up, when you were a kid, everyone would like to fly kites. It was like something all kids did, and it was something fun, and something that everyone knew. And so when we went to do the kite and balloon mapping, number one, everyone loved it. It was fun, it didn't matter if you were a government official, a UNICEF staff, a young person, it was fun to try to rig these kites and balloons with cameras, fly them up to take the photos to create the aerial maps. The other thing it did was it actually brought out the community. People came and said, what are you doing? Why are you attaching cameras to these kites and why are these huge balloons up above the, our neighborhood? What's going on? And what this did is 
it had an unexpected effect of bringing the community together to learn about the mapping project and what it was all about so that everyone in the community got on board. And so they might say, oh, hey, you know, I know of this place around, you know, my home that, yeah, there's a, you know, landslide risk. And during the last rains, I was very scared. So it kind of opened up this dialogue and kind of community exchange that I did not anticipate. And the other thing I would say I learned there and I would take away is that sometimes when we're doing social good projects, and especially those who are in the nonprofit sector, sometimes we kind of get a sense of righteousness. Oh, this is serious. We're coming in here to help poor people. And we're going to have to really, you know, they can't help themselves. That's why we're here with our technology and our money and our innovative ideas. No, that is a backwards mindset. Go in the communities, find something that's really fun to do, that everyone enjoys, and build impact projects around that. And so that was an unexpected hit, was the whole kite flying and balloon flying. We were able to take the photos, see them. They got a new look at their community. They got this cool bird's eye view of their community that they had never seen before that wasn't available on Google Maps. So that all kind of was the perfect storm of this pilot exercise. We came together, they created these aerial maps, they got the community to come together, they got unlikely allies to start working together with an unorthodox approach, and by the end of that pilot project that week, there were three obvious points on the map that needed to be taken on. There was the famed in the community Ugga Ugga Bridge, it was called the Ugga Ugga Bridge. They said, oh yeah. This is here on the map. The young people, I remember, they gave the final presentation at the end of that week. Here's this bridge. Here's exactly where it is on the map. We have to take this bridge to school almost every day and it's falling apart. And someone is going to get hurt. And it's dangerous. Number two, they said, look, here are two or three points where there's stagnant water and there's mosquitoes. And we know that there's disease here. That if we could just have someone come and take out that stagnant water and get rid of it, we really think that would save people's lives. And the last one they brought forward was a landfill. There was this kind of informal landfill that had, you know, certain, you know, people were throwing all their trash. It was a place where kids played. And I said, look, us kids were playing here and this trash is not healthy. It's not, it's poor sanitation and people are going to get sick and die out of it. So they presented this on the last day, and then I flew out and I left. And SetApps in the local office took over the project, and lo and behold, over the next few weeks, I started getting reports of things changing. The Ugga Ugga Bridge, I got a picture of the Ugga Ugga Bridge. It didn't look like the dilapidated falling apart bridge. They had reinforced it with concrete and repaved it, so it looked like a very safe walking bridge. The places on the map where the water had been collecting had been taken care of. They showed that those things had been covered and that standing water was no longer there. And the last one and probably the most, you know, cool one I thought was that the landfill area where kids played the setups group along with the local municipal government held a community cleanup day where the young people got the word out. I think they flew kites, they did another kite flying. They really liked that. They flew kites, they did a little more of the, the photos they wanted to do, and then everyone came and they cleaned up 
the place where kids were playing and they got rid of the trash, the sanitation risk. And so these stories were really encouraging. And so I felt like, let's, well, let's see where we can take this. Let's see where this can go. On the next episode of Let's Break Good, we'll talk about how the mapping project took the success in Prezetis to scale across 25 additional favelas in Brazil and eventually around the world. What types of barriers did we encounter in replicating the success? How do we maintain the momentum? And what happens when your project outgrows your control? Thanks for joining us and see you next time on Let's Break Good. But life still goes